This episode of The Mom Voice is brought to you by the Wally Phone Case. Okay, guys, we have found a new phone case that we think you're really going to love. The Wally is a leather case with threaded detail. It has a loop for your finger in the back, but also doubles as a stand when you want to watch a show. It lays completely flat, and the best part is there's a discreet pocket for your credit card or driver's license, so no more losing those things when you have to run into the store. With our code, this case is only $22. It's seriously such a steal for the functionality that you're getting. To purchase your Wally case, head over to wallycases.com forward slash momvoice. That's Wally, W-A-L-L-I, cases.com forward slash momvoice. Shop around for your phone model, pick your case, and then at checkout, enter code momvoice for 15% off. Seriously, Go shop right now while you're listening to this episode. We really think you're going to love it. Hey guys, welcome to The Mom Voice. This is Lauren and Sarah with episode 125. Okay, well we are very excited to be sitting here with Miss Valerie Plowman. Say hi, Valerie. Hello. She (laughs) is best known as the Babywise Mom. She is... I'm not even kidding you when I say this. I'm not overselling it, but she saved my life (laughs) multiple times. And it's so fun to be sitting with you in person because, I mean, there were so many days when I was an early mom starting out where I've joked on the podcast before that I never read one book during my pregnancy. I always just thought it was just going to come naturally and we would just fall into this wonderful rhythm. And then here comes my first and she's not sleeping. And then I discovered Babywise. And then I discovered Chronicles of a Babywise Mom. And that is Valerie's blog that you've been doing since... 2007. 2007. So I found you in 2012, I guess. And man, there is just a wealth of knowledge and information, literally any single topic that a parent can face. It is on there and it's incredible. So a quick bio on Valerie is she is married. She has four children aging from eight to 15. She has a couple books under her name and she really is what I will consider to be a master blogger. And I'm not just saying that, Valerie, because I'm sitting here with you, but more than any other blog that I've ever followed, I have referenced yours so much in my life to people. Like, right, Lauren? Well, yeah. She will tell you. We'll joke that Sarah's the sleep guru and she learned that from you. Sarah taught me. So I I appreciate it too. (laughs) (laughs) So we are going to be talking baby wise, sleep, kind of just some some fun things that we know our listeners would benefit from. Yes. So Valerie, tell us um, a little bit of why you started baby wise. Initially, I started because I was in a Yahoo email group because this was way back in the day before Facebook even existed. Yes. So if we moms wanted to talk to each other on the internet, we joined joined email groups. Yeah. So I was in a Yahoo email group, even proceeding Google email groups. Um, so in this Yahoo email group, I was my second child was a baby and she had reflux. And so I needed some help. I wanted to know how do I get help with this reflux baby because reflux is a whole different game. And I joined this group and I soon found I was the most experienced mom in the group. So instead of getting help, I was giving advice, and I would get the same questions over and over and over again, and it was the time when everyone had their own personal family blog, right, where you put up all of your adventures. So I thought, you know what, I'm going to copy all of my responses to these questions and paste them into a blog, and then when someone says, I'm wondering about this, then I'll copy and paste the link to that and send that to them instead of retyping the same answers over and over again. And then after a couple of months, I suddenly got a bunch of hate comments on my blog from somebody who absolutely hated Babywise. And it was her mission to kill Babywise. And tell us why Babywise has critics in case there's like a newer mom listening or maybe even someone who's pregnant and they don't even know a lot about Babywise because I've ran into that too. Tell us what the critics say. What was she saying? She had a lot of things to say, but primarily what critics say and most, the vast majority of critics 
have literally never read the book. Mm-hmm. They've just read something online or overheard something. Um, most critics say baby wise is a problem because they, it makes you starve your baby, which isn't true. Um, I even have a blog post that's all about how many times baby wise tells you to feed a hungry baby. And it's a lot. It's about 25-ish off the top of my head. It's that many times that in the book it says always feed a hungry baby or some variant of that phrase. Um, zero times it says do not feed your baby if hungry. If if hungry. So anyway, she this woman actually had some personal negative interactions with the authors. And so it was more of a personal, she was offended by them. And you know how people can be if they're offended. Mm. So that's where she was coming from. But her, she was so negative that I thought, well, if this loud voice is out there being this negative, I want to be a voice that's positive. Because for me and my family, Babywise had been amazing. And so instead of it just being like, a here, I'm going to copy and paste my answers, I became intentional about it. So the blog exists thanks to her. I love that. That's incredible. And so you did start the blog and that was kind of a question I kind of had along the way is, was it ever like a family blog type thing? Was it specifically to serve, yeah, moms and the the BabyWise method? It was never a family blog. My family blog was always private. Okay, yes. And this one was public. Give us a high level definition of what BabyWise is. It's a very famous book and I have a copy of it. I've honestly read maybe half of it. And so, no, but for some listeners out there that maybe don't know or truly understand the method, what is BabyWise? The very basic premise of BabyWise is you follow an eat-wake-sleep pattern, um, which isn't unlike a lot of other methods out there. The Baby Whisperer is another about as old of a program that is the same premise. Um, And that's like the basic for people who are just looking for sleep. That's as far as they get. But in my mind, BabyWise is much more than that. It's really about creating a family culture and have raising children who are moral, ethical, responsible adults. And having great sleep habits is vital to that. You can't address bigger issues if your child is overly tired for the rest of their lives, or you can't help a toddler not have tantrums if they're constantly tired. Mm-hmm. So in order to get to those deeper issues, you have to have those routines and have great sleep. Yeah, a huge tool that like we can at least give them from the beginning to like help them along. That's pretty fascinating that it goes beyond just your routine or your, you know, your sleep habits. So that's pretty amazing. I know. Well, I've noticed that too. I've reread the book every time I had a child, just as like a refresher, because it's amazing how I forget within two years when you live and breathe the method for, you know, those first nine, 12 months. And then it kind of, you get, you get it working, it's flowing, everything's clicking. And then you kind of forget all the little details, but I would totally agree that I think baby wise sets up a baseline obedience almost in your house. You know what I mean? And I feel like so many parenting struggles that I've dealt with or I've seen kind of go back to that obedience factor, you know, and especially with sleep. I think sleep is one of the first push pulls or like fights that parents get in at that two, three year age. That's the first conflict that a lot of them face. And with baby wise, I just never had to deal with that. It's incredible. Or truly any bedtime. I mean, I feel like even as they get older and they think they're more independent or they have more things, um, they want to stay up later and it kind of comes with the territory and there is that battle. Um, Now, I, of course, did the trial and error and messed up with my first and I did not start the baby wise routine till he was like near one years old. So can you, and it, it was effective for me, can you start when they're older and like, when is it too late? Or can right. you at any point? It's definitely never too late, especially when you keep in mind like the real premise of baby wise. So at any age, you can develop good sleep habits. Um, so even if you've never worked on sleep habits till age four, you can get there. It will be harder because for four years, you've had things one way. And so you're retraining, developing new habits. So it will be harder than someone who's starting at four days old or four weeks old. But you can absolutely start at any time. 
And BabyWise can work for anyone who wants it to, who's willing to work at it. BabyWise doesn't necessarily work for every adult, but it can work for every child if it fits with their parent. And I love BabyWise. It worked great for me, works great for my children. Um, But I firmly believe there's no one right way to be a parent. So I wouldn't say every parent out there should be doing BabyWise. And if you don't, then you're a terrible parent. Um, It's my preferred method, but that doesn't mean it's everyone's. But if you want it to work and you're willing to put in the work, it's not easy. If you're willing to put in the work, you can make it work. So even a kindergartner, you would say Mike could start implementing BabyWise? Yes. Wow. Interesting. it would be a different focus than a newborn. In what way? What do you mean? You'd be focusing on sleep habits, but you obviously wouldn't have an eat-wake-sleep pattern Mm. with a five-year-old. It would be, you probably wouldn't even have naps, but it would be establishing the, one big premise of BabyWise is that the parent is in charge and the parent makes decisions. And so it'd be, if you don't have that already, it would be establishing like mom decides. So if it's time for bedtime, then it's time for bedtime. And you if you don't have a bedtime, it would be establishing those sleep habits. You probably wouldn't have a nap, but you might have a rest time if your five-year-old is home all day long. If your five-year-old's at school all day long, then you wouldn't have any kind of rest time or nap time. Mm-hmm. And I mean, sorry, this is sending me off on a whole nother path, just because I know there's so many moms out there who are in that situation and they're just desperate to get something going, you know? I mean... Do you think it is just a matter of you setting the law, setting what's happening, and then just being consistent with it? Is that what you're talking about? Or is it implementing some sort of discipline if if it's not adhered to? Or like, because I mean, what if you just have like a really strong-willed child, right? Who's constantly coming out of their bedroom. And my second can be that way. And thank goodness, I got a handle on him early because I can already see him down the road, you know, coming out of his room every five minutes. I mean, what would you say to a mom who might just be going like, I've tried, I've tried, and he will not do it, you know? What would you say? It's consistent. It really is consistency. Mm -hmm. It's vital to be consistent. It's vital to have expectations, and you probably need to write them down and decide, like, These are the rules and expectations, and these are the consequences for that. And it can be as simple as if you stay in your bed, you get to put a sticker on this chart. Or if you get out of your bed, you lose technology tomorrow. And being consistent with that and not not tomorrow coming because and you saying, well, you can have technology today or you can earn technology back. But especially when you're establishing habits, you have to be super, super, super consistent. As those habits are formed, you can start to have more leeway and a little more flexibility, but you really need to establish those habits. Yeah, that's a really good point that I had not thought about to talk with you about, but that it is a key cornerstone of BabyWise is that the parent is leading the relationship. And I think today that's definitely not always the case. And so it might sound like cruel or old fashioned to some, but I know I do think it's, yeah, it sets you up for a much more controlled home in ways. So, I mean, what would you say is your number one troubleshooting question that you get on the blog? It's definitely sleep. Mm -hmm. Like my baby's not sleeping how can I get my baby to sleep? So that could be naps, that could be nighttime, a lot of questions about waking up in the 5 a.m. hour, but definitely sleep. So I have to share my personal story with you, Valerie. I know you don't remember, but this would have been, gosh, 2013 probably, because Kate was probably six months old, and I didn't start BabyWise with her until she was six or seven months old because I feel like during those newborn months, they are so sleepy, you know, they sleep pretty naturally and she's a good baby and everything, but she got about to that six month point and she would not nap over 45 minutes. She would scream and like, 
it was just torture. It was absolute torture. And I could just remember crying. What am I doing wrong? Like, and I had read every blog post on the internet about the 45 minute nap intruder and everything. And I actually, um, wrote to you on Facebook and told you all about like what was going on with her. And you had said, you took the time actually to respond back to me. And you said, it sounds like she's overly tired. And I would suggest you just take like three days and hold her during her naps and let her like get caught up with her sleep. And that to me wasn't against the baby wise method, but I had never even gone there. Like hold her, hold her for, you know, for three days. Mm -hmm. No, what? But I did. I sat in that room and I listened to podcasts while she napped and legit, it fixed it. It changed it like made her granted she was never a good napper I mean but we would get an hour and a half right I didn't even know there were these children who took three hour naps until my (laughs) second child came along because she was just such a hard napper but she was perfect at nighttime so I was like it's fine I'll take it like whatever so I just have to say like I'm not even I am a testament to you Valerie (laughs) like I'm not even kidding because Lauren could probably remember I just was like I'm trying whatever like I'm locking it down we're staying home and it worked. So that was my first time of ever hearing the term like overly tired child. And I've ran into it now quite a few times mm-hmm. in my parenting. Well, and I, I don't know if you got it from her blog, but like, I remember you would say, and I've seen this too, is sleep begets sleep. And like when she was so maxed out and overly tired, it's like, and I can a- even attest to times for us too, when it's like, they're so like traveling or trips and stuff. And it's just like, they're so beyond, you have to kind of reset. And like, you hadn't even started yet, but resetting her sleep routine and letting her catch up and then like moving forward with that kind of progress and training. It is, it's like a real true science. It's really fascinating. But okay, Valerie, so how do we set up like the most ideal um, room for their optimal sleep? Uh, Maybe taking it back to like maybe infant stage or so, but like what's the ideal room situation like? Okay, so the most important thing is a good place for a baby to sleep, a safe place, so like a crib, a bassinet. That's really all you need. When my oldest was a baby, we lived in like a studio situation, and he literally slept in the bathroom, in a crib. Mm -hmm. The bathroom was big enough for a crib to fit, Yep. but he slept. Once he was six months old, I finally moved him to the bathroom, and that's when he started sleeping well because he wasn't like right by us. Um, So that's the most important thing. Is a crib. You may want some blackout curtains or blackout blinds. You don't always need that. You can have just white blinds that are normal. But if your baby is sensitive to sleep, you're going to want some sort of light blocking source. Another really helpful thing is a sound machine, especially if this is not your first baby. Because if you have other children, they're going to be noisy. Or if you live somewhere where it's just noisy outside. You have noisy neighbors, you have noisy animals, you have you live in the city. So sound machines are really helpful for helping babies sleep through those transitions and make it through without waking up thinking like, oh, I hear a dog barking. I'd like to see that dog. I'm going to wake up. So my husband grew up with a sound machine and he, I mean, technically to this day prefers to have a sound machine. I had never even heard of a sound machine till I met him and I don't need it. I, I'm fine, I guess, with it. I've heard both sides, like the sound machine is great, but then a baby needs to be able to sleep through the sounds If the doorbell, the vacuum, like they need to be able to like resist the like, you know, that nerve of waking up. I mean, do you feel like there's either a right or a wrong to that or just kind of whatever works best for you? I think there's a good, better, best, like an ideal versus reality situation. So ideally your child can sleep with absolutely no props in any circumstance. Right. But in reality, people are different. So some people are very deep sleepers. So your deep sleeper might be able to quote unquote sleep through the vacuum, but that may just be because they sleep so deeply. Whereas if you're a light sleeper, you're not going to sleep through a vacuum. So like ideally you're going to have no props, but in reality, it's better to get sleep with a prop than to not get sleep without a prop. Agreed. Yeah, that's yeah. what I was going to say is I think that 
the children are different. And like even seeing how different of a sleeper I am to my husband, I can hear like a cough on the other side of the house and he hears nothing. You know what Mm -hmm. I mean? And so I've, I've seen that in my own children. Are yours that way, Lauren? Do you feel like they're a little different? Like, I feel like Kate's very, like, even going back to a baby, she's very, wakes up very easily. Yeah, my oldest is definitely like, the most sensitive into in his sleep but I mean yeah and agreed my husband and I are so different even alone like I'm a deep sleeper and I don't need the noise but I never had the noise either to begin with so it's just like I don't know what what comes first but I interrupted you is there anything else you wanted to add on to the ideal room situation the last thing I would add is a baby monitor so that you know what's going on but there are times when you need to not use a baby monitor if it's making you get too involved in every little squeak your baby makes. You know, obviously during the day, at night, if you can't hear your baby, you want a baby monitor. But during the day, during naps, usually you can hear a baby crying without a monitor in your house. Yeah. And Mm -hmm. correct me if I'm wrong, but does somewhere in baby-wise, does it suggest like the optimal temperature? Do you know what I'm talking about? I feel because us in Arizona, right? People keep in the summer, it gets really warm in some of our homes. And I can remember at times wondering if that was the reason she wasn't sleeping well because it was 78, 79 degrees in our house. Do you know what I mean? Oh, for sure. And I'm wondering, I, for some reason, I want to say 68, 69 degrees in the book or something. D- do you recall any of that? I don't know if Babywise talks about that, but I can't even remember which book would for sure. It's possible in Healthy Sleep Habits, Happy Child. Maybe, yeah. That is discussed in there. But yes, there is optimal temperature range for sleep in general for all humans, including babies. So that is one of the things I always ask people when their babies aren't sleeping is, does your baby need a cooler or warmer sleep situation, which may mean you change the thermostat. It may mean you change how baby's dressed. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So a huge part of what, well, I don't know if it's necessarily what BabyWise is about, but I think what people correlate BabyWise to is the cry it out method. Um, Probably it was one of the first that made that term popular, you know. Talk to us about that. What, What is cry it out? What does it mean to you? Did you do it with your children? What did that look like? This is actually fascinating because BabyWise actually does not talk about cry it out. It doesn't tell you how to cry it out. It does say that there may be times your baby needs to cry before a nap, but that's basically as far as BabyWise gets into cry it out. So it's so interesting that people assume that baby, that's one thing people hate about BabyWise, but it actually doesn't talk about it. So really. am I... Am I wrong in thinking that cry it out is associated with it? It is associated with it, but it doesn't like originate from that. No, there's actually really no sleep training tips in baby wise, other than like make sure your baby sleeps at regular times, like those kind of basics, but no, like here's how to get your baby to learn how to self soothe. Yeah, interesting. Okay. So, but cry it out um, is a form of sleep training and a big premise of BabyWise is that the baby is capable of being able to self-soothe. But BabyWise doesn't care how you get there. BabyWise does not care how the baby learns to self-soothe, just that the baby does. And that's vital for any healthy sleep because you have to be able to make it through a transition independently. Because you have a sleep transition every 45 minutes. So if your baby needs a one and a half to two hour long nap... They obviously need to be able to fall back asleep once that transition happens at 45 minutes or they can't take that one and a half to two hour long nap. And also during the night, during transitions, they're going to wake up needing help unless they're capable of falling back asleep independently through those transitions. Mm -hmm. So uh, cry it out. You know, there's a lot of different um, traditional definitions of that. You've got Ferber, you've got extinction method. There's lots of different ways to do cry it out. I did like, I did tri- more of a traditional cry it out with my oldest two babies. My second child didn't really need a lot of crying um, because I didn't start any bad habits with her. My oldest child, I actually didn't start baby wise till he was nine weeks old. I was the same as you. I didn't read any books before he was born. I was like, oh, it's just going to be natural. We're going to be perfect. It's fine. And he was not a sleepy newborn. He was not a newborn who naturally slept. He was a baby 
who refused to sleep 24 hours a day. And so mm-hmm. wow, I he drove me to Babywise. If, if I'd had a perfect little sleeper first, I probably never would have gone to Babywise. But because he was an awful sleeper, I went searching and I found Babywise. So my last two babies, right before my third was born, I read the Baby Whisperer books for the first time. And she talks about the four S's for sleep training. And that is my favorite way of sleep training because there's no crying. I'm not against babies crying if they need to, but it's not fun. Nobody likes it. Oh, no. You're in another room crying with them. Absolutely. For sure. Absolutely. And so I found this method that was a no-cry sleep training method, and it worked. So I did that with my last two, and that is what I would recommend. And to- remind me what the S's are. So th- your first is to set the stage, and that's just getting the room ready and your sleep routine. So a dark, quiet room. And then second, you swaddle your baby. Uh-huh. And then this is the like the key and that is the sit but you don't literally have to sit but it's you hold baby upright and you just relax and you wait until your baby's body relaxes and that's what you're waiting for because that's when they are in this point ready to fall asleep and then you put your baby in the crib and the fourth s is you like shush like you shush and pat I never had to do that and I'm a back sleeper so that wouldn't have worked for me the baby whisperer was a tummy sleeper so the, I don't, I don't know. That's different. Yeah. Especially okay. with swaddling. But mm-hmm. anyway, so I did the three of the four S's, but it's that waiting and it helps you find that optimal wake time length because you are sitting, you're waiting for that baby to relax. And that's when baby is ready to just fall asleep. Yeah. Interesting. Oh, love that. Yeah. I can remember those feelings. Um, so Valerie, when is the right time to drop a nap? Like when do you know it, it, it's the right time? There are a few factors. Um, one factor will always be age. Mm-hmm. So there are certain ages when each nap should be dropped. So your fourth nap should be dropped around four months old. And that's the one and only nap that all babies are basically the exact same on. So four months old, you drop the fourth nap. Then your third nap is dropped typically between six to eight months old. You will have a few who are five months old dropping that nap, and you will have a few who are 10 months old you're forcing to drop that nap. So then you're down to two naps. And so your morning nap is typically dropped anywhere from 14 to 22 months old. That's your biggest range, and it's really hard to figure that out because it's such a big range. But that's when you're dropping your morning nap. And then so you're down to one nap a day, and that typically is not fully dropped until around four years old. But around two years old, you start this very long, slow weaning process where your two-year-old doesn't sleep every single day for that one nap. And then over time, it gets to be more often that your two-year-old or three-year-old isn't sleeping until you get to this point where it's just never sleeping. Right. And what do you feel like are some of those telltale signs of, you know, like they just don't need this anymore? So one sign, you look at the age and then you look at, is the baby or toddler or preschooler no longer sleeping well for that nap. If they're not sleeping well for that nap, then you start to consider, okay, is this time to drop this nap? Or is this child having a hard time going to sleep at bedtime? Or is this child suddenly waking in the night? Yeah, I think for sure the sign for me was bedtime. Like I feel like it was always interfering with like getting them back to bed and in time for bedtime. And I was like, oh, I'll skip the nap today. I'd rather than be in bed in time. And I felt like that was kind of where I started gauging it a little bit. Well, it is baffling how different each child is. Yeah. Because like I said, my Kate was like such a horrible napper. I'm pretty sure we dropped them relatively quickly. But my Landon, I mean, he took naps up until kindergarten. And I mean, he would still take a nap and then go to right now if I asked him to. And then he would still go to bed at seven o'clock. Do you know what I mean? It never affected bedtime. But then I can already tell my third, my Luke, he's going to, I mean, he dropped his nap at two and a half and, Mm -hmm. and, and he was happy. And so I felt like for me personally, as long as I didn't see like those meltdowns before bed, like in that five o'clock hour, 
I felt like, okay, they're doing okay. Like as long as life's happy and good, we don't need the nap. But if you're like melting down all day, (laughs) we need the nap. And sometimes by the time, like it's a bittersweet thing. Sometimes you're like, no, nap time's over uh, or past. I'm like letting it go. But then other times you're kind of like, okay, can we move on? Like we've got busy days. We've got places to be. And nap time ties me down. So it's like, it's like, it's interesting. You see a little bit of both. Well, sleep training in general kind of can restrict you. I mean, I remember catching a lot of crap from people because like I would say no to things and we would go home early and not go on certain things for vacation or whatever because I was dedicated, okay? Slave to the schedule. Yes, but I was. But you do benefit from that. And like, you know, Valerie was saying- And it's not saying, always that way. No, right. It's, like, a, it's a season, a time and a place and and you do get such long-term benefits from it. And let's be honest, you get a break. Like, you, know, you mean, it's- it, you want to do it. You want the break of the breather. But I'm thinking back to like, we had Disneyland annual passes, Valerie, when my daughter was young. And I can remember like leaving Disneyland at like six o'clock to make sure we were in bed by seven and people would be like making comments about that. But I'm like, no, like it's so worth it to me to have her happy for the next day. And like, you know what I mean? And I get a break and a breather and everything like that. So I think Yeah, I think looking back on it now, you see the benefit of it, but it can be hard to make those sacrifices in the time, like Mm -hmm. for Mm -hmm. sure. Another thing to look at with dropping naps is to know if your child is moving to a longer feeding schedule. A lot of times naps will just naturally be dropped. If you're going from feeding every three hours, every four hours, usually a nap is just naturally dropped in that process. So I should mention here on your blog, Valerie has all of her month by month schedules. They're like sample schedules. Valerie, I lived by these. I'm not even kidding. Like every month I would go look at them and I looked, uh, do you have them for all your children? I know for sure you did Brayden and um, McKenna. Is that right? I have. So I have every month for McKenna, every month for Brinley, and in a lot of cases, like every two weeks for Brinley. Oh, wow. And what with Brayden and Caitlin, it's more sporadic because yeah. I wasn't blogging when Brayden was young and Caitlin was seven months old when I started and I didn't really start the monthly thing until McKenna was a baby. Right. I feel like these are such good resources, though. Go to her blog. It's babywisemom.com. Go to your index. Right. And it's under sleep schedules. Is that right? Well, there's a variety, but one easy there's a tab that schedules okay. and then you can go to sample schedules And I have compiled sample schedules by month now so that you can look at first month schedules, second month schedules, and I have every child's schedule plus reader schedules. So they're all real schedules that real babies or toddlers used. So I have them up through like four years old. They were hugely helpful to me just to kind of get an idea of, okay, we're going into this next phase. This is kind of what it's going to look like, you know, all of that. So um, I just wanted to make sure and mention that. Well, and right on the tails of that, I mean, of schedules, let's talk bedtimes because I think um, Sarah and I both are kind of branching into like getting into that tween stage and they're going to want later bedtimes. We're both pretty religious with like early bedtimes. Both of us have everyone in bed by eight, her, her household seven. But at like what point are we ready to kind of advance the bedtime? Bedtime's dependent on age a lot and also dependent on what time your child wakes up in the morning. So different ages, they need a different amount of sleep at night. And that can vary depending on if they're napping or not. So like your preschooler who isn't napping will need more hours of sleep at night than your preschooler who is napping. So definitely as your tween gets older, they need less sleep, but not as much less as you think, they're just not napping. So I have details for you here. So a teen still needs eight to 10 hours of sleep in a day. So a teenager usually isn't napping, right? So that means if your teen is waking up at 6 a.m., then they need to be in bed between 8 and 10 p.m. ideally. So that's your 13 to 18 year old still needs, depending on what time they wake up, you've got to count back and they all have different sleep needs. So I have two teenagers right now And one is a low sleep needs person and one is a high sleep needs person. So, you know, they'll have different bedtimes even if they're waking up at the same time. Your older tween, so tween can, some people start tween thinking at age eight, some age nine. Is that right? Is that when it starts? Eight to nine is tween. Lauren, I didn't know this. We're there. 
We're there. Well, yes, I have an 11 and two eight-year-olds. So I feel like I'm like right branching into all of that. Yeah. So you're eight to nine, around eight to nine, you start to move to needing nine and a half to 10 hours of sleep at night. Okay. So if you're getting up at seven, then you need an eight to 9 p.m. bedtime. Mm -hmm. But something important to remember, well, so that would be eight to nine would be your time you're falling asleep ideally. It's important to remember that Bedtime and fall asleep time are not the same. Mm-hmm. So typically, as you come into tween, you start to read before you go to sleep. You know, there's things you do in your bed to unwind. You don't just hop in bed and immediately fall asleep. So so you kind of account for that? Yes. Okay. You may have an earlier official bedtime because the fall asleep time is later. So my eight-year-old goes to bed at 8.30 and her alarm goes off at 7.30 in the morning. And she is a lower sleep needs person, like in general, in her life. She's been on the lower end, not not the lowest tier, but on the lower side of sleep needs. But she likes to read for a while before she goes to sleep. So giving her 15 to 30 minutes to be able to read, then she'll fall asleep with good time to not be too tired the next day. Interesting. Yeah, love that. Yeah, that's helpful. Too. And as you have responsible children, as they get older, you can start letting them kind of guide and set their own bedtime. Like my 13 and 15-year-olds do not have bedtime from me. They have bedtime from themselves. So they've, oh, interesting. they've grown up almost their entire, you know, my oldest was nine weeks old, but essentially their entire lives having very healthy sleep habits. And they don't like the feeling of being overly tired or not getting enough sleep. So they make sure they get the amount of sleep they need and they're capable of recognizing, okay, I'm too tired. I need to go to bed earlier or I can stay up later. Mm-hmm. And But does your house tend to wind down at a certain time frame? You know what I mean? So like if they're up until, I mean, is the TV allowed to be on in the living room past 9 p.m.? Or do you know what I'm trying to say? I don't know because I don't have any children that old yet, but I'm just kind of thinking down the road. Yes. So on a weeknight, technology is turned in by 9 p.m. and turned off and turned in by 9 p.m., which is very important because the blue light, we all know, keeps you awake. And we all know that teenagers have a different circadian rhythm. So they don't need that extra difficulty falling asleep at night by having blue light pounding them until 10, 11 p.m. So it gets turned in, then they don't have any reason to try to stay up and like watch another show or text their friends. It's, you can read or you can go to bed. Also, my husband and I have always cherished time in the evening to be with each other without the children. Hallelujah. Yes, absolutely. That's something you start to lose as your kids get older because they're staying up later. But so that was one thing we said like, okay, this is the time that you can stay up later, but you have to be in your room by a certain time so that dad and I can have time with each other. Okay, that's like very good information because I've like even dreaded the idea of like my oldest going into teen years because I'm like, that is intruding in our time, our show time, our dessert or whatever. Mm -hmm. And and I was, I'm scared of that. So that's a great idea just to at least say, go to your room, you can read, have your space, but you need to be in your room because that day is coming for me and it's going to be very crazy. I know. Oh my gosh. Craziness. Well, Kind of on a different topic, have you ever met a child where baby-wise did not work? And I know we said earlier it can work for anybody, but I mean, I know uh, there's a lot of moms out there who are like, it just won't work on my child. Do you feel like there that there is truth to that or it is just, again, like more work for some children? Definitely just more work for some children. I'll tell you one mom friend I've had, a baby-wise mom friend I've had since 2007, like back to the, no, this was late 2000, she found my blog. Okay, so this mom friend, her oldest child was born in 2007, and that certain child was a chronic 45-minute napper, and she's actually the author of the post I have that is chronic 45-minute naps. This mom did absolutely everything correct. She knew all the answers I walked her through all sorts of things, and her baby still slept for only 45 minutes for the entire first year of her life. So there are children where that will happen, but this mom still stuck to all the other principles because, again, baby-wise is more than sleep. Mm 
Mm-hmm. And her next two children took perfect naps. So because there's more to baby-wise than just sleep, then you have to look at it as more than that picture if your child just will not nap. Once this child hit toddler years, she took normal naps. But So there will be some that maybe don't have perfect sleep, but there's still so much more to baby-wise than just quote-unquote perfect sleep. Yeah, I would echo that. I mean, now having raised three of my children on it, like I said earlier, I feel like it does just set up your home to run in a more orderly fashion. Like, it's just so funny because I was the parent who implemented it. My husband was on board, but I mean, you know, you know husbands, right? (laughs) I mean, (laughs) they haven't been in the weeds with you all day. Like come bedtime, you are done and you're ready to go to bed. And, you know, they get home from work and they want to be a lot softer on things. And so I was always more the disciplinarian. And it's so funny to me now, now that they're older, (laughs) like they even react to me differently than they do my husband. So like he will be having a problem with them or, you know, whatever, normal stuff. But if I step in and say something like they know, I mean what I'm saying and I don't even have to be crazy, but they know like it is what it is, get it done, like move on. And so I feel like that all roots back from baby wise, because it is kind of that consistency it's what mom says, mom's in control. Well, parent, you know what I'm saying. But, um, and so, yeah, I do think like that is like the beautiful part of it, but that it is all so focused on love and like wanting the best for your children, you know? Okay. Also speaking on bedtime, you know, I've mentioned my woes here before about my oldest. He does have some nighttime anxiety, kind of, uh, almost like a PTSD situation. And he just has a hard time going to bed alone. It, it you know, sleeping through the night still, um, it's kind of just rocked him. And, um, but there's a lot of children that deal with, you know, scared of the dark, scared of, you know, being alone, bad dreams, night terrors, anything, anything related to that. So how, how can we address or deal with nighttime anxiety? Any ideas here? Yes, there's several things you can do. One is to first recognize that fears are developmentally appropriate. So knowing that can really help you be patient through it and not freak out and stress out. So anxiety is developmentally appropriate. Children should at some point be anxious about things because that means that they're thinking about life and trying to reason through it. And if and there could be some personalities who just never really worry, but There should be times that they're concerned, at least. So, you know, and some people just are naturally more anxious than others, but your child being anxious doesn't mean everything's wrong, something's wrong. It just means your child is getting older and maturing, just like a child learns to walk. A child learns to worry and reason, and as with fears. So that helps you be patient. Um, Another thing, look at, so you want to look at what are they afraid of and try to address those things. If your child is afraid of the dark, then a nightlight could help. I don't love nightlights long-term, but most, if not all of my children have had a nightlight for a period mm-hmm. while they're concerned. And I don't like nightlights long-term just because light when you're sleeping definitely interferes with your sleep. You sleep lighter with light. Another thing is to find comfort items that will help soothe them or help them feel secure so that may be stuffed animals. There was a time Brinley had like a rainbow of stuffed animals around her head on her pillow because that helped her feel safe. She had her stuffed animals, just we had to pack them around her head so that she could feel safe at night. One thing Brinley has right now is a picture of Jesus by her bed. She really likes that. She's also drawn some pictures. You can put pictures of family members, just things they can look at that help them like center feel calm, think people they can rely on. Prayer, if your family prays, prayer really helps. Um, Talking with your child logically, you want to be careful you're not feeding the fear. You don't want to go and say, all right, let's get all the monsters out of here. We're going to make sure, because then your child thinks, oh, there's monsters in here. And I'd be worried about monsters. Or I was correct, there are monsters. So you don't want to do that. But you do want to assure your child it's safe. And You can find out, oh, you're afraid there's something under your bed. Well, let's look and see. Is there something under your bed? So it's not feeding the fear. It's not, okay, well, let's scare this thing under your bed away 
It's, let's look. Oh, look, there's nothing under your bed, but these things or absolutely nothing at all. Another thing is not to belittle or scoff towards your child. Don't minimize the fear. People need to feel validated. And so, you know, I, I understand you're really scared. This is what's scaring you. They need they need to be reflected. They need to hear. They need to know you understand. And you don't want your children getting to a place where they're afraid to come with you with what they're afraid of because you're going to laugh at them and tell them like, oh, that's nothing to worry about because to them it's a big deal. You also want to watch and pay attention what triggers your child. There may be certain TV shows, video games, any of that kind of exposure that you notice anytime my child watches this, then she's terrified at night. One thing to do is to talk through your stress and in your anxiety. So fear is often just a manifestation of stress and anxiety. So talking those things out, if your child can write, having a notepad by their bed where they can write down what they're worried about helps empty it from their mind. And you tell them they're putting it there so they don't have to think about it at night, which is a great tip for all humans, like adults, if you find yourself waking up at night thinking of things. Um, also, what is it, have there been big changes? Like, is mom pregnant? Did you just move? Did school just start? Did a pandemic just happen? Mm-hmm. Like, what's worrying this child? You want to empower your child and give them things to focus on instead of fear. So when you feel scared, let's think of a song that you can sing in your head at night. Or when you feel scared, let's talk, think through your favorite family vacation. Or here's a book for you to read when you're feeling scared. Give them that permission to be able to read a book to take their mind off of their fear. You also might need to change up the bedtime routine. Make sure that it's nice and calming and something that works for them to get in a space where they're secure and and ready to sleep. Those are all amazing tips and I think are hugely helpful. So I have to ask, I can't let you walk out without asking about independent playtime because I first heard that term through the course of BabyWise. And I will be honest, this is the one part that I really, really, really struggled with. And I never really mastered it, to be quite honest. So talk to us a little bit about independent playtime. I often say independent playtime is my favorite part of BabyWise. Like, it's just amazing. So (laughs) I really, really like it and really encourage people to get it going. We even use it in our house like in the summer. When the kids are out of school, my oldest will be 16 this summer. It will still be a thing, which he loves because he's an introvert. He has three little sisters. And so he loves that moment in the day where he gets permission to go to his room. Well, and back up and tell people if they've never heard this term before, what what is independent playtime to you? Independent playtime is when your child plays alone and it's structured. So it's when you decide it's time to play alone and where they're playing, you decide that also. It's not your four-year-old will go off in the other room for 15 minutes and play alone when they decide to. Like that's great, but that's not independent play. Independent play is structured and decided by the parent. So some benefits of independent play is it leads to mental focusing skills, a sustained attention span, creativity develops, being able to self-play, entertain themselves, orderliness, and self-control. And I feel like it comes so naturally to some children. And then for some children, it is like pulling teeth. And so going back to my Kate, she's my firstborn, super social, just like her dad, always a party, like all of it. I struggled very hard. And again, I think I even gave up and you know, that is what it is. But then my baby, Luke, he loves to play by himself, like loves to be alone. I love to be alone. I mean, I, to this day, like that's what I love to do in my free time. And so it's just so funny how I feel like, or I want to say to the moms out there, maybe don't give up if it, if it failed, quote unquote, with one child, it could very beautifully work with another. Right, right. Love that. Well, and I will tell you that Brayden was my introvert. My introverted introvert was my hardest child to get doing independent playtime. Really? Why do you think that is? I don't know. It was a firstborn thing. I swear those firstborns. Yes. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And he loves it now, but it took a lot of work to get him there. 
Okay. Well, you are just a, a wealth of knowledge. Like so I said, I knowledge. have told you before on your blog, you're doing God's work. And I believe that <laughs> you really are. Okay. You're saving a lot of moms out there. Yeah. So many moms, heartaches and grief uh, and just having so many answers and resources. It's amazing. Yeah. So we do really want you to go check out her blog. It's babywisemom.com. Again, her blog index. Is that still what you call the blog index? I do have a blog index. Yes. Go to her blog index literally anything you can almost imagine is on there and there's so much information I very much encourage you if you have a baby to go look at the sample schedules they're hugely helpful yeah and it's never too late either I think like sometimes you're just discouraged and you want to throw your hands up but like my first was near a year before I started this and it was very effective. And then I just was ready the second go. I had twins and I felt like I have to master this right now, early on with them. And it was a really important core part of surviving twins. So, and I had um also had my kids' preschool teacher, um, she swore by it. She said that she was able to work full-time as a preschool teacher with a morning class and an afternoon class, two and a half hours each, because she could time her baby's naps and she knew she would nap the whole time. So she would put her baby down, go teach preschool for two and a half hours, confident that her baby slept, and then have lunch, get her up, do her thing, put her back down and teach another class. She was able to manage all of that in one day because of starting this and implementing this. So yeah, it does have so many great answers and guidance for you. And I would say too, that is exactly one of the best benefits is the predictability about it. Yeah. There becomes such a predictability in your day. When you don't have that, it causes so much stress and anxiety when you're just kind of running wild, you know? And so I do think having those consistent factors in your day are just huge. It so. is a, yeah, it's a huge um, yeah. part of mothering and just being able to survive. Take a breather. So, yeah. Oh, get your breather. Oh, well, thank you so much for joining us today. I know. Thank you for having me. Yes. We are so happy to finally meet you. And I'm just going to give you a really big hug. It's going to get awkward, Valerie. No, I'm I know. <laughs> no, well, I'm totally Thank kidding. you for all of your hard work. We really are so glad to sit down with you. Okay. Well, with that, we are back every Monday with a new episode. If you want some more behind the scenes, get to know us, see what we look like, what our kids look like, you can check us out on Instagram at yes, the mom voice podcast. And then also, if you like what you hear, please share us with your friends, your family, leave a rating and review, however you can support the show. We really, really, really appreciate that. Um, Anything else, Lauren? No, but thanks for being here. All right, guys. We hope this helped a little bit today. Go have an awesome day. All right. Take care of each other. All right. Bye-bye. And before you head out to tackle your day, we just want to remind you about the Shop the Show feature on our website, themomvoice.com. Head over there for all of the show sponsors, any products that we're loving, or anything that we talk about during the episode. You can find the resources there. All right. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.